Join me for a year in the Bible. It's less than five minutes. Every day I'll give you insights and encouragement. That's a year in the Bible, available now wherever you get your podcasts. For me, I'm a pastor, and I deal with real people, people just like you every day, people that have a hurt or they have something going on and they're trying to figure out how do I deal with this and I always know Jesus has the answer he has that next step for you let's open up the word today and see what God will say specifically to you Welcome to Your Next Step. This is Pastor Doyle from The Church Next Door, and I'm excited today because we have a personal testimony of a life that was transformed by the power of God. You know, God can heal any brokenness in our life. And the reason we're having this discussion today is because it's something important right here in Ohio. We have a constitutional amendment up, and we want to encourage you to vote no. That's right. We want to encourage you to vote no on issue one, because it's about life. It's about parents' rights. It's about protecting women. It's about protecting our teenagers. There's a lot that goes into it. But more than that, you and I as Christians, we want to lead with the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that one in four women has had an abortion, and yet the church isn't providing places and ways for they can get healing from that brokenness and the hurt that it caused. Well, today, Jennifer and I want to introduce you to our friend from right here in Columbus, Ohio. Her name is Amy Garner. Amy would encourage you to vote no. Jennifer and I want to encourage you to vote no. But listen to Amy's testimony today of how God showed up and he met her in the very hard, broken place that she was in after having an abortion. Abortion doesn't solve problems, it creates problems. It creates hurt and pain, and we want to step into that hurt and pain and let women know that we love them, we care for them, and we want to give them another answer. That's Jesus. So you can tell uh, by the twang that I'm from Texas. I was raised on a dirt ranch. Do you have any idea what a dirt ranch is? I don't, but it's got to be good. (laughs) I guess it's like a farm. Um, So if you have a farm around here, people ask you what you grow or produce, right? So it's probably the same thing in Texas. If you say you have a ranch, they're going to ask you what kind of cattle you might Uh. raise, that sort of thing. But if you have a dirt ranch, that means we don't produce anything, just the dirt it's on. So we ranch for fun. Okay. So I grew up riding horses. Um, I grew up uh, sleeping in haylofts and, and climbing trees and all the things. It was an incredible childhood uh, with two incredible parents. Church was very much a part of my life. I went to vacation Bible school, probably much like many of you. Yeah. And um, I, rem- I have precious memories of the dish towel on my head, walking around the walls of Jericho with kazoo in my hand. <laughs> That's right. You know there were kazoos in ancient Israel. (laughs) I bet there were. Uh, According to every children's VBS and and, and children's ministry throughout America for the past 50 years. As I grew up, I went to stay away camp, sleep away camp, uh, like everybody else. And it was after camp uh, one year when I was 12 that I just uh, wanted to make Jesus Lord of my life, Mm. gave him my life. Uh, Came home, told my parents I wanted to be baptized, and I was baptized shortly few weeks before my 13th birthday. Then I grew up and I went off to college. I wanted to be a missionary. I was a double major in Bible and nursing because that was the way for women to go into the mission field at that time. 
And my life was kind of sent into a tailspin when I experienced sexual assault. Mm. I began drinking a lot to numb the pain, flunked out of school because I didn't want to walk past the quad, developed an eating disorder, ended up back uh, at a different um, university, a couple different universities before it was all said and done. By this point, um, the drinking was pretty heavy. Then I was sitting in my apartment on a Thursday night and the voice in my head said, go get a pregnancy test. And I thought, no, no way, go get a pregnancy test. So I went, I got the test, I came back, I took it, it was positive. Oh wow. I went back, I got two more, I came back, I took them. I had three positive pregnancy tests in front of me. I will be honest, um, I was not rationalizing very well at that time. I had not uh, received any kind of help for the sexual trauma. And it did not take me long um, to realize I can't do this. That was just my first thought. Mm -hmm. I can't do this. Mm. The amount of fear that you feel in that moment is excruciating. Having no support, not realizing uh, that no intervention piece and and not knowing how I was going to do it. I tell people, you know, I think there's something in all of us that would like to think that maybe if we were Eve, this thing might have turned out a little bit different. That's right. Like maybe we would have lasted a little bit longer, but I know that's not true. Amy, did you tell your parents or a friend or anyone at college? No, um, I had um, something happen at college that kind of shut that support system down for me, so I didn't feel like I could go and express that to my parents. Um, So I had a friend, um, and she had had abortion herself, and so she was the one who kind of was like, I'll take you to the clinic, and I guess she kind of guided me a little bit through the process. Mm. Um, And of course, Satan plants that seed in your head pretty fast, um, and you think that that's gonna solve every problem, because that's what the world tells us, that it'll solve all your problems, that you'll get to go back to normal, and everything will, your life will just return Uh, to normal and everything will be okay. So how long from the time that you took those three tests until you walked into the clinic? Was this just a matter of days or I mean did you think about it for weeks or? No. On Thursday night I took the pregnancy test. I got up the next morning, a Friday morning. I made the appointment for Saturday morning. I did not give myself time or permission to think about it and I went in and did it. Mm -hmm. The nurse gave me the ultrasound And um, at the end of the ultrasound, she looked at me and said, how did you know you're pregnant? And I said, what do you mean? The pregnancy test said positive. She said, there's no way it should read positive. You haven't even missed a period yet. Hmm. And I said, well, it did. And, And she said, well, we don't really have a gestational age for you. So she just wrote one week on my paperwork. And she said, it's just a clump of cells. Oh, my. So... I went back, I did the procedure, and I woke up in the recovery room. And the recovery room is one of those things that they don't talk about. We were all crying in the, in the recovery room. Uh, there wasn't a young girl that wasn't crying. The realization hits you, and I began to sob uncontrollably at the realization of what I had done. A nurse came over. And she said, um, you can stop crying now, it's over. But I am so unbelievably grateful that my God did not consider it over. 
In that moment, Satan began to convince me that God would never want me now, that I was beyond the grace, uh, that there, this was the unforgivable sin. It's what we all think. Every mm-hmm. single one of us think it's the unforgivable sin, and we are so unbelievably convinced that there is no way back. And so um, the drinking started even more. The negative narrative in your mind calling you the monster, the murderer, begins. And the only thing that could silence it was alcohol. So I pretty much drowned myself in it. Self-loathing, self-hate turned to self-harm. I began cutting and became almost instantaneously suicidal. Oh, my. You said that the suicidal thoughts, you realize now that that was a spiritual battle? Yes. The night that I came the closest to taking my own life, there were countless nights. I can't even count how many nights I would sit in the bathroom with a knife or a razor blade and a bottle of wine. But the night that I think I came the absolute closest was the night that he taught me that this is indeed a spiritual battle. I was so drunk that I couldn't walk. The room was spinning so fast. I was nauseous. Um, I crawled on all fours into the kitchen, surprised that I hadn't already passed out, because usually as much as I'd had to drink, that would have done it. I dug a knife out of the drawer, and in that moment, I prayed a prayer unlike any prayer I have ever prayed up until that point. And I cried out to the Lord, and I said, Lord, I don't know if you've got anybody fighting for me, and I don't even know if I'm worth fighting for. But if you do, would you strengthen them? Because I don't think I'm going to make it. And I don't think I'm going to see morning. And I prayed that prayer for probably, I don't know, three or four minutes, maybe, sobbing. And when I opened my eyes, I was completely sober. (laughs) Wow. I have no explanation, none whatsoever. I have no idea how he did it. All I know is that I was in my right mind, that I got up and I poured all the alcohol out of the house, and I went into the living room, and I got on my hands and knees, and I began to fight this fight like the spiritual battle that it is. Hmm. So just a second. You prayed that you don't know. You said, God, I don't know if there's anybody fighting for me. So who do you think was fighting for you? Angel armies. Absolutely. But what if, what if we would take some of that on as Christians? What if we would begin to pray uh, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit for women and men that are out there that are doing that? Because, see, that's never, even, that's never even occurred to me that I would need to get on my knees and pray for somebody that's tonight going for a battle for their soul and their life because they've been through that experience, that trauma that you've been through. And for me, that's a, that's a powerful idea that we can enter into that realm. And yeah, it'll unleash the, the angels. That's the prayers of the righteous, isn't it? That's right. You know, my dad talks about, he knows that he had a great grandmother that was praying for him. That's how he came to know Christ. And when I talk to people, most people have somebody, they, they find out later 
they figure out, oh, wow, yeah, I've been praying for you for years, and that's what's turned the corner uh, in their life. That's why I asked that, if, if somebody, but you know the angels showed up that night. Prayers are powerful. Yes, they are. They are powerful. And, and we know through Scripture that when we engage in the Spirit and the Word, That's right. that we engage in the spiritual realm. That's right. And so absolutely, I believe that we need everyone to pray. We need all of us just storming the throne of grace, right? That's right. Because when we pray, heaven moves. Yeah. So was this the beginning of a healing journey, or was it one step forward, two steps back? This was the beginning of the healing journey for me. This is kind of when I guess I turned the corner, if you will, um, because up until this point, I was hopeless, absolutely hopeless, and did not feel worthy to call on his name, did not feel worthy to bear his name. Yeah. And no one mentored you through that. Did you, get, did you get a mentor at this point in your journey? How did you begin the healing process after that prayer? Well, I met my husband. Oh. And um, we met, I'm going to tell you the truth, we met in a bar. And that was my natural habitat. He was only there to get his car back. He had loaned his car to a friend. <laughs> and so his friend was in the same bar, and he calls his friend asking for his car back. And he's like, don't drive my car drunk. I'm coming to get it. And yeah, that's so, a good decision. Yeah. <laughs> so he walks up there into the bar, and he sees me. And he will even tell you this day, it's like a God moment. He doesn't know why he walked up and introduced himself. He just did. And I'm thinking, wow, this is different. He's sober. Okay. Um, and so he asked me out on a date, and we went out. We sat down on that very first date, and he started talking about Jesus. And he was asking me all the perfunctory questions, you know. And to his surprise, he wasn't, he wasn't sounding surprised at my answers. And at some point in the conversation, he realized there was something wrong, and there was something wrong with my doctrine. And so he just kind of stopped, and he looked at me and said, Amy, when you die— are you going to heaven? And I said, no. No, no, I'm not. He said, wait a minute. You believe in Jesus? I said, yes. He goes, you gave him your life when you were 12. I said, yes. He said, what's changed, Amy? And I got these big tears in my eyes and said, the things I've done, the things I've done. And without skipping a beat, he said, oh, Amy, that's not how Jesus works. That's not how Jesus works. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I love it. So this was the beginning of many dates. <laughs> it was. We discussed theology on every single date, and I used to study for my dates. <laughs> like he would. <laughs> Way I did to go, too, Amy. By the way, we have more in common than you think. <laughs> she used to write me, and I would send her back uh, Bible, Bible studies in the Bible mail. Bible <laughs> studies to do. So there you go. Yeah. And we did. We good. would sit and discuss theology for three years, and then we then we got married. And how many years have you been married? Twenty six. That's wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and you have twins. Yes, we do. A boy and a girl. A boy and a girl. You know, God redeemed a lot in your life. Let's talk about the healing process. Let's talk about what does healing look like, feel like. I mean, tell us about it. For me, um, I started the process of understanding that I needed to fight spiritually, understanding that I needed to dig into His Word. Like we uh, discussed earlier today, there was no such thing as abortion recovery at that time. There wasn't mm -hmm. a class that I could take. Nobody was talking about it. The church wasn't talking about it. Uh, and so 
he just kind of led me to start digging into his word as he began to rebuild that doctrine that had been twisted by the trauma. But still, even through this, so I was having regular morning time, I was having uh, just a growing relationship with the Lord, but even at this time, there was still one sin that I could not bring to him. Hmm. I could bring him everything else, but this one sin was too bad, too dirty, the unforgivable. And I think there was a voice in the back of my mind that every time I would think about it, that voice would say, but what if he says no? Wow. And so... I was so afraid to ask that I think it almost turned into a prideful thing that suddenly I I started to say, I'm never going to ask because that's going to protect me, right? I'm never going to ask. I'm going to carry this one to my grave and I'm never going to ask for forgiveness. And that's when the spiritual storm started and it began to rage. My husband and I tried to have children and we couldn't. We spent... Um, probably a couple years trying, uh, and then we went to infertility. We had all the tests ran, him and I both, and I'll never forget the doctor walking in the door, and he was like, Mr. and Mrs. Garner, there's no medical reason why you two cannot conceive. He thought we'd be pregnant in a month. And a year later, he would sound baffled as he pushed a brochure of adoption across the table to me and said, there's some things we just don't know. But I think I knew because during that entire process, if you know anything about infertility, you get six tries, basically. I'd had five negatives. So negative after negative result, as I was going through this healing process, the storm was raging inside, and I would hear the Holy Spirit whisper, ask. I couldn't do it. Hmm. Ask. Ask to be a mother? I I can't ask to be a mother. I don't deserve to be a mother. Hmm. Ask for forgiveness? What if he says no? And so this went on and on, ask, Amy, ask, as the storm just raged. Mm. It almost felt like having your skin inside out. Mm. Anything would make me cry. Anything uh, would just send me into um, just despair because I was so afraid, if that makes any sense. Until the day I sat in the doctor's office the very last, uh, it was the fifth negative result. And at this point, I had stopped asking my husband to take off work. I just knew it was going to be a negative result, and I was just going to try and handle it myself. And the doctor said, there's some things we just don't understand. We don't have much hope. But we'll try this next round, and we'll see what happens. I thanked him, and I walked out. My husband called me and said, do you want to meet for dinner? And I said, sure. And so we met at a restaurant. We came in two separate cars. And I got out and began to walk into the restaurant, and a pregnant woman comes walking in because, you know, when you're trying to have children. Everyone looks pregnant. That's right. And so I can remember saying to myself, Lord, if you have any mercy, please do not sit her near me because I can't do this today. I was so raw. And within 30 seconds of the hostess sitting us down, she was sitting straight in front of me, (laughs) like profile, straight in front of me. Wow. And I broke. And I started crying, and I couldn't stop. I said, honey, I got to go. I got in my car and started driving home. It was a very short distance, but I began crying out to the Lord, like, why? Why all of this pain? Why? And again, the Spirit said, ask. And I said, okay, 
If you want this sin, take it. It's yours. And in that instant, it felt like that 50-pound weight just lifting. And the storm that was raging in me just silenced. And I realized I was experiencing peace for the first time in 10 years. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And, and I think of all the people right now that right now are where you were for that 10 years, and they just can't ask God to forgive them. They can't ask God to give them a child or give them the next step in their life. They, they're just not ready. So what would you say to them right now? Well, Anything? Why don't we actually stop and pause and ask? Okay. Would you want to pray that with us? There's somebody that wants to ask God right now. I think we should just stop and pray. Sure, absolutely. Father God, Lord, I just pray for every woman, every man who is listening. Lord, you know where they are. You know the ones that are hurting. They are your sons. They are your daughters. You are pursuing them with a relentless love. Yes. Father, I ask that you just create safety for them. Oh, make the cross a safe place for all sinners, Lord. For it is the safest place we can possibly be. So I ask, uh, Lord, that you just give each woman, each man who needs you the courage, the courage to ask for forgiveness. Because it's an assurance. It's already paid. You've already forgiven. You've already paid the price. It's just there, Lord, to receive. So we thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Son, for the finished work of the cross that cannot be undone, for a spirit that cannot be stopped, Lord, for the heart of a father that takes off running for a prodigal. That is who you are. Yes, Lord. So, Lord, I just ask that you be with every man and every woman who needs you today, who is hearing this, Lord, and give them the courage to ask knowing that they will indeed receive for who you set free is free in jesus name amen amen Amen. well you know amy let's talk about (laughs) self-righteousness how are we going to learn to relate to others you know you said this morning that one in four americans have had an abortion and 70 percent of those one in four women one in four women have mm-hmm. had abortions, and 70% of those are Christians. So it affects so many people. And we were talking about how do we relate to one another without being self-righteous, and that there's some language around how we should communicate, how, sh- how we should talk even to our kids, to, to our nieces, our nephews. Can you help us with this? Sure. Um... The first thing I can tell you is that it's in your family. You may not know it, but I promise you it's there. I don't think there's a family in America that has not been touched by it. And what we need to understand um, is the way that we speak about it in our homes matters. The way we talk about uh, the unwed mom matters. Because if your children don't feel safe coming to you when they get in trouble, then they will try to hide it, and they will do the unthinkable. So the way you talk about women who have abortions, and and I will tell you, I was the most self-righteous person 
Absolutely. Everything they say about me, I said about women. Mm. I thought all of those things, and then I became one. And now I'm called to them. Isn't that like Jesus Christ? (laughs) Isn't that just the way he works? But it's so important how we're discussing it in our homes. It matters, and it could change whether or not a young girl feels safe to come to her parents or whether or not she's going to turn to do the unthinkable to try and cover it up. And in our churches and in our small groups or our gatherings, what, is some, what are some of the words that we can use or what is some language that would be helpful? Well, first of all, I'm going to tell you post-abortive works really well. Abortion wounded works well. Um, it's th- those women that, that doesn't, anytime you, we say those anything, that, that just isn't good, right? It carries a, a verbal shame, if you will. Um, we need to talk about it in our churches. I'm so excited that you have a church that's willing to discuss a very tough issue. And we need to understand, uh, kind of to your point earlier, that the cross is not a safe place for everyone. No. Unfortunately, it's not. We think it's the safest place on earth, but it's not safe when you are afraid of the God of wrath. And what actually happens in the trauma of abortion is that Satan distorts the doctrine, breaks apart the God of wrath, the God of love. Suddenly we see the God of wrath coming for us. And and Amy, you said there were several traumas that cause abortion. What are some of those? When I work with women, all women that I have worked with since 2016 kind of fall into one of, I think, three categories. One is sexual trauma, rape, or molestation. Uh, The second one would be coerced, meaning they're coerced by a parent or a partner. And then there's an interesting role between the father in the home and whether or not a young girl ends up abortion vulnerable. And if the four A's are present, abuse, addiction, anger management, or abandonment, if any one of those are present, then she can become abortion vulnerable. You've been listening to Amy Garner's powerful testimony of what God can do when we come to Him and ask Him to forgive us and heal us. Yes, Amy's story is about an abortion she had and how God has healed her, given her new life, and yes, given her twins. She's, she's serving God today, and she helps women that have had abortion. There is hope for women out there. Jennifer and I are so glad that you stayed with us today to listen to the program. We want to encourage you now to go and vote. You can vote in person right now in Ohio. Just make sure you go to Ohio. .sos.gov. That's ohio.sos.gov to find out the precinct in your county where you can go and vote. Or you can wait till Tuesday, November the 7th. But I encourage you to vote now and vote no on issue one, because we want to protect women. We want to protect families and children. We want to protect life. We want to encourage people that there's options for them out there. And that's why we encourage you to encourage people to vote no and vote no yourself. I know it's unusual for us to ask that, but we believe that life is important, even from the womb. So please be in prayer about the elections and be a prayer uh, for all the people that are out there. And please go vote today. Glad you've been with us for Your Next Step. This has been Your Next Step, a ministry of The Church Next Door in Columbus, Ohio. We hope this has been an encouragement to you as you seek to have a deeper faith in Christ. If you'd like to hear today's show again or share it with a friend, look for Your Next Step on all major podcasting platforms. We'd love to see you soon at the church next door. Easily find our service times and our app. 
I'm Pastor Doyle Jackson. Join us again next time for your next step.